This is the Improved Photography Podcast, episode number 197. Is this seven? <laughs> I think it's seven. All right. Welcome, everybody, back to the to this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. I am joined today by Mr. Nick Page, the amazing photographer. And uh, today, we he is fresh off a trip back uh, from Kauai. Um, where he did some shooting there. And Nick, I hear you had some horrible trouble with the... Um, so today you wanted to talk a little bit about the Faisal 3472 yeah. tripod and why you are about ready to throw this thing off a cliff. So what's yeah. wrong with it? Well, so anybody that's been shooting with me knows that um, when I first got the Faisal 3472, which is the flagship tripod from Faisal, I loved it when it first showed up. When it was working properly, it's an amazing tripod. Behind the scenes, however, I have been having some issues with the legs binding up before they get to the designated stopping points. What would happen is I would go to open my my tripod leg and it would just get bound up and then I would have to like uh, release the little thumb lever and then try to put it into place. It was just a huge pain. Faisal was really good about trying to fix it for me. I think that I sent it in to be repaired three times and then they replaced it with a completely different unit. And then that one started to fail. And then they sent me some parts to change out and I was hopeful, okay, maybe this is, maybe this is going to fix it. And it started to do it again. So I've had this issue in Iceland, in China, in Hawaii, like on my Palouse tours, I was just constantly fighting it. And, uh, this last time when I was in Hawaii, I was like, you know what? I am just done with this. Like no, no, no tripod should be this much of a struggle. Yeah. So, it stinks that that yeah. happened because I have, I all, I have been shooting a, a Faisal tripod. Uh, this mm -hmm. is a, a different model, but the same brand. This is the Faisal three, four, four, two. Um, right. and I have been shooting this for years. It's been with me on those same trips, uh, you know, to Iceland and, right. and China and all around in the ocean. And I do not take good care of my equipment. I'm the worst at taking care of my equipment. I've never, ever, ever cleaned a tripod. Um, <laughs> and I, I've never had an issue with it. It's super tiny fits in your camera bag. You know, mm -hmm. you can travel with it, um, in the, you know, in the airport, super lightweight, um, and so I've loved it. And so I feel really bad that you bought, you know, the same brand, but just a little different model that's supposed right. to be better and had that experience. Uh, and it stinks. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm kind of hard on my equipment too. And so I kind of figured maybe it's just me having these problems. Cause Faisal actually said that, you know, we haven't had anybody else have these problems. And so that's kind of why I was quiet about it. Maybe but it's because they only sold one. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But uh, several people like I know of probably, I don't know, six people have went out and bought this tripod on my recommendation. And I know at least one of them has developed the exact same problem. And so now that I know that it's not just not me, like uh, that I'm not doing something wrong and I don't know how you use a tripod wrong, but I thought maybe I was. So I was kind of quiet about it, but I know of at least one other person that's having the exact same problems. I've had it now on two different tripods, a whole bunch of different parts. Um, so I'm ready to take it off the table and say that is no longer a recommendation. And it, and it does suck. I feel really bad because now, Faisal's uh, customer service has been really good. They've tried really hard to get me a functioning unit. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, I just use them up. I don't know. And I've only had it for, what, six months now? It should not be failing. Definitely not at the rate that it is. So I can no longer recommend that tripod. I did, however, replace it with this beautiful thing right here. This... This is a really right stuff tripod. Just came in the mail a couple days ago. Can I ask how Don't, much? It's like a thousand bucks, right? It, it was a thousand dollars. Yikes! I know, but the thing is, you buy nice or you buy twice. And I would rather That's have right. a thousand dollar tripod that works perfectly than a $600 tripod that doesn't work at all. Uh -huh. And that's that's what I've been up against. So I was like, you know what? I am so done with this. I'm just going to go out and throw money at the problem. <laughs> Hence this. Um, don't go out and buy this yet. Let me actually use it for a while before this is my official recommendation. But it is 
it is nice. It's real nice. Yeah. And this thing. This is, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say when I stand, when I extend this fully, it is, I can almost walk completely under it. It is like over six feet tall. It is a tall masterpiece of, of and, and engineering. Heavy right here. It's beautiful. Uh, Kind of. I think this way, this right here weighs, I think is 4.2 pounds or something like that. Yeah, that's the Faisal and the Faisal was lighter, but when you consider how tall this thing gets, you know, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to build something that tall and have it only be four pounds. So it's, it's not so heavy that I'm like, um, hesitant with it at all. It's, it's big, but I think it's going to be worth the poundage. Cool. Well, that's, that's a good opportunity to mention the recommended gear section on improved photography. It's exactly this kind of thing. So in every episode of the podcast, you know, we're giving you doodads and stuff that we're trying out. We're trying new products and some of them are cool. We're excited about them and long-term they're not so great. So when you're buying new gear, go to improvephotography.com and just click at the top recommended gear. I think everybody who listens to the show has probably been there. Uh, but for anybody who's new to improve photography, uh, this is a very popular section and that's exactly what this is for. We're trying all new tripods and ball heads and cameras and lenses and all kinds of stuff. And only the good stuff makes it here. Um, and so, you know, Nick got a brand new tripod. It's awesome. And like he said, hold off, don't, don't go buy this thing. Let's give it some while, give it a while and see if it uh, stands the test of time. And when we mm-hmm. love gear, like Nick has a great ball head that he bought. Um, mm-hmm. then, you know, that's where it goes, goes on that recommended gear section. And then you can see the stuff that we can, you know, reliably say this is, this is a, a good recommendation for you. Yeah. Very Excellent. cool. All right. Well, um, we, also, uh, on your trip to Kauai, you had a little sunset cruise, uh, which is fun, but uh, maybe it didn't turn out quite how you wanted. <laughs> right. So we, we were in Kauai, and anybody that's been to Kauai knows of the Nepali coast, which is this really, really just uh, dramatic, beautiful coastline that is only accessible by a helicopter or hiking 17 miles on the most rugged trail ever created, or by boat where you kind of uh, go out on a boat out in the ocean and drive around that part of the island. Well, we found this cruise that was labeled a Sunset Nepali Coast Tour. And I was like, that's the one I want. I want to be out there for sunset. And we called ahead of time. We were like, okay, so just want to clarify, like we're going to kind of be out there during sunset. And they're like, oh, yes, you know, and they they were great marketers. And then uh, we got on the boat, first time ever on the ocean, like in a small boat. And that was fun in itself. We probably only had like four foot swells, five foot swells, but still like on a little catamaran on a small boat. It was pretty exciting. And we get out there, we go to the most photogenic part of the of the coastline. It was about an hour and a half before sunset. And then they we take some photos and then they just start heading back to port. And I'm like, wait a minute, I thought this was like a sunset the Nepali coast tour. And they're like, yeah, we're going to be out here for sunset. We're going to all have it toast champagne and stuff. And I'm like, well, where are we going to be for sunset? And they're like, Oh, about a mile from, from port, which is like way away from the Nepali coast. So my sunset shot that I got from our tour was just water sunset, water sky, not the most interesting foreground. I was so bummed out, but that's what happens when you're a photographer and you go on a tourist tour rather than a photography tour. So I kind of learned that the hard way. Even though like I called and I asked questions, it just was not geared towards photographers. And it was a real bummer because like th- that coastline is so beautiful, but I was not able to photograph it like I thought I was going to be able to. Yeah, that stinks. I, I've made similar mistakes um, uh, where I've gone on a tour and, you know, it just... Well, see, one one of my one of my problems was I signed up for a tour that was, you know, billed as a photography tour, but I didn't mm-hmm. look through the photographer's portfolio first. And that's a big uh-huh. mistake. Um, you know, somebody can have great local knowledge and um, may take pictures of cool things. But um, t- when a tour guide just takes you to cool things, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a cool photo. Uh, there's there's there. You know, photographers are looking for, you know, 
compositions that are really solid and and great right. lighting situations and it's just different from what a, a regular tour guide is going to take you to and so yep. not only do you need to be on a photography tour if you're traveling check out their portfolio and make sure that this is somebody uh you know because the kind of photos that they're going to get are those are the places they're going to take you to and, mm -hmm. and you want to make sure that the the conditions are going to be just right for you otherwise you might as well just explore the place on your own exactly and you know i was kind of hopeful that maybe we we would see some dolphins or whales or something out on the on the way and so i asked the captain i was like so you know, if we see some wildlife, are we, are you going to like point it out? And he's like, well, no, this is, this is more a tour for the coastline. So no. And I was like, man, so I'm not going to get dolphins. I'm not going to get whales. I'm not going to get a sunset shot of the Nepali coast. So I was kind of bummed out, but, um, a couple quick tips. If you are shooting on a boat like this, this was a small boat. So there was lots and lots of movement. So I needed to make sure I kept my shutter speed up even during the sunset shots. And I think I was kind of able to get at least kind of a different, interesting sunset shot because what I did was I kept my shutter speed up fast enough to where the waves had some texture and I tried to really focus on the parts of the of the waves that were reflecting the sunset colors. And they were, it was choppy enough to where there was textures, kind of different, kind of interesting, because you, very seldom do you see a, a, a sunset photo with like really textured, interesting waves. Typically, you're shooting it from the, the coastline. So um, I got my I kind of leaned over the edge of the boat not highly recommended and got my camera kind of low. That way those waves uh, had more uh, height to them. They weren't, it wasn't very flat and two dimensional. They kind of uh, were breaking, breaking the horizon line and stuff. So I got down really low, kept my shutter speed up, had to bump my, up my ISO, but that's all, really all I could do. And, and I just tried to do that. So uh, I still got something. I just didn't get what I went for. Well, sorry, that uh, that can definitely happen. I've I've definitely been in the same boat, so you definitely have to be careful with uh, with the kind of of tour guide that you pick. Yeah. Well, in the gear world, some cool stuff happened this week. Uh, Nikon announced a new 19 millimeter f4 lens. This is awesome. Um, it's awesome because uh, usually tilt shift lenses are a little bit more zoomed in. They're, they're longer focal lengths, 24, mm. uh, 50 millimeters. They're, they're usually not super wide. The purpose of a tilt shift lens, for those that are maybe a little bit newer in photography, um, is that you can bend the plane of focus. And so that, um, you, you know, your, your lens literally bends in half. It has a pivot point on the lens and it's literally, you know, tilting part of the front part of the lens. And the advantage to doing this is you can get perfect depth of field. You can have a flower inches in front of your lens in focus and the mountain way out there in focus, everything in perfect focus. And you can do lots of creative effects. Have you ever seen like a, you know, a photo of a city that looks like a small world, like it looks like a model set? That's with the tilt shift lens. Um, so there's some neat things you can do with it. The other thing that they're useful for is you can pretty much eliminate distortion so when you're mm -hmm. shooting a, a picture of a building and it looks like they're kind of curved in the tops of the building um they'll they'll look straight when you're shooting it with a tilt shift lens so very popular with architectural and real estate photographers as well well this is an exciting lens it's the nikon 19 millimeter f4 eed um because it, it's wide angle um and it's a really nice tilt shift lens Problem with this lens is the price. Uh, priced at three thousand four hundred bucks. Who has a budget for that? Seriously. Mm -hmm. Like, if you are, you know, a an architectural photographer, real estate photographer, yeah, this is gonna make sense. You know, if this is your business, uh, you know, to get a tilt shift lens, you're probably gonna want it. Um, but but for anybody else, you know, if you're just a landscape photographer that that just wants to get better depth of field. There are easier ways to get full depth of field. Uh, than Cheaper this. ways for sure. <laughs> There's <Yeah>. definitely more <laughs> affordable ways of getting depth of field. Uh, so uh, that's uh, an exciting new lens, but the price is is definitely prohibited. The other the mm -hmm. other thing that that Nikon did uh, that's 
curious to me as they released a new 70 to 200 um which the nikon 7200 is already like optically perfect so uh this was i think a surprise to a lot of people um it's supposed to give a, a little bit better image stabilization a little faster focus um We'll see how it is. I mean, the the previous version was already so sharp, uh, but but I'm I'm anxious to see what they did or if this is really just bolting on you know a new version so that everybody will feel like they have to upgrade. Um, right. We'll see. I I'm anxious to to get my hands on that one and and uh, see what it does. But that wasn't mm -hmm. it. There's it, there is one lens that I was really excited about. Nick, are are do you think you might buy the, this next one? This uh this Sigma lens. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for anybody that's interested in ultra wide angle shots, this lens is going to be exciting because it's more affordable than Canon's 11 to 24. Uh, so Sigma came out with the new Art 12 to 24. And it's really compelling in a lot of ways. For one, it's going to be considerably cheaper than the Canon 11 to 24. Yeah, it's 1599 uh, listed right now. And those prices always come down a little bit in the first few mm -hmm. months. Yep. Yeah, so it's going to be even more affordable uh, comparatively. Um, also, it's considerably lighter. The 11 to 24 from Canon is two and a half pounds. Oh, I guess they're both about two and a half pounds, but it's smaller. It's just more dense. <laughs> so it's a, it's a much smaller lens than the Canon. Yeah, it looks uh, And anybody that's held the Canon, it's a beast. It's huge. Uh, but what, what else is cool about this is it, the, uh, minimum focus distance is an inch and a half closer. And that really matters in an ultra wide lens because a lot of times the, the way you use these or the way a lot of landscape photographers use them is they get really close to their foreground subject. And, uh, this is going to allow you to get an inch and a half closer to whatever your foreground subject is. So, uh, that's really cool. Uh, the downside to both of these lenses, uh, and definitely the Sigma is that putting filters on it is not really going to happen. Not any kind of thread on filter. You're going to have to use some kind of like Lee or wonder Panna, something like that, where Wonderpants. that actually the wonder pants. <laughs> Yeah, because it's got this bubble of glass in the front, and so you can't mm -hmm. just screw on a normal normal filter. So exactly. Darren Eagles on on uh, Facebook um, asks, "What is your go-to landscape shooting wide angle lens?" Yeah. So for me, uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. It is the Fuji 10 to 24. Why? Because that's the only wide angle lens in the Fuji lineup. That's a zoom. I I like zooms. Um, mm -hmm. But for DSLR worlds, when back when I was shooting Nikon. My favorite at the time was the Tamron 15 to 30. I love that lens. It also doesn't accept filters. Um, it is heavy as well, uh, but mm -hmm. man, it was really sharp, way less expensive than the Canon or Nikon version. Uh, I, I really like that. But having said that, if I were buying a new wide angle lens for a DSLR today for a full frame DSLR, it would probably be this Sigma 12 to 24. It looks pretty cool. How yeah. About you, well, that the thing is, I like to use filters. I'm either using ND filters or circular polarizers. And because I don't really use graduated filters at all, ever, um, like Lee filters and stuff like that, I've never been very interested in. So for me, it has always been the Canon 16-35 f2.8, also because it's nice for night photography because of that, that um, large aperture. But I've recently got this guy. This guy came in the mail day before yesterday, and this is the brand new 16-35 Canon version 3. And kind of notice the size difference here. It's considerably bigger than the old one. doesn't feel too much heavier, uh, but it's sharper pretty much across the board. It's sharper at all apertures, all focal lengths, uh, coma distortion. When you, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you zoom in on your stars for your astrophotography shots and they start to look like little UFOs or little, little blur ones streaks. In the corners especially, yep. Exactly. This is not nearly as bad. So it's even better for astrophotography and the corners are much improved. So it's better pretty much all the way around. Um, it's also kind of big. It's considerably bigger, but I'm really excited about this lens. And because, you know, it, it'll it accept filters. And it also accepts the exact same filters that I already have, which is nice. Uh, they didn't change the filter thread. Um, so this has always been my go-to. 
beca- also because I, I like the wider focal range. It's 16 to 35 rather than, you know, 15 to 24 or 12 to 24. It's got a little bit more zoom, which means that I can get away with not having that medium focal length lens a lot of times. So this has always been my go-to. Yep, great point. So we're getting a ton of questions on Facebook um, from people that are watching the Facebook live stream, uh, asking what kind of lens to use for you know the 6D and and different cameras and different situations. Mm-hmm. So I just want to remind everybody if you haven't checked it out, go to improvephotography.com, click on recommended gear, and then click on lenses, and we have a lens finder for you. So you can type in exactly what camera, um, you know, Canon crop sensor is a Canon 6D. We're looking for a um, a wide angle kind of landscape lens, and it's going to tell you uh, exactly what our recommendations would be. It's not perfect, uh, and it's never going to be because there's so many different factors. But uh, I spent like a year developing this, so it at least gives you a great starting place. You know, if you're mm-hmm. just not sure what lenses are available in, in that arena, um, then at least start um, by looking at the lens finder. And then, you know, you'll need to read reviews and stuff, but but definitely check that out. That's a really nice resource when you're, especially for people that don't have a million different lens names memorized, uh, to at least check it out before you rent or buy a lens. Absolutely. Uh, so some something definitely to look at. Well, we have lots more to share with you. First, we're going to go through a couple uh, listener questions, and then we're going to learn a new listener, a new skill in this episode. We're going to talk about how to set up your YN 560 for the absolute newbie. Um, but first, before we do that, we got a question from Elise Bender asks, um, what do you do when you're in a rut in your photography? I've been shooting quite a bit lately and have very little to show for it. It is discouraging. I've mm-hmm. never been in a rut. Have you, Nick? This doesn't <laughs> happen, right? <laughs> no, all the time uh, this mm-hmm. happens to me. Uh, I, I definitely want to hear your ideas for this, Nick. The first thing that's popping in, into my head um, is, an actual, is an article that we've been talking about a lot. Uh, my wife and I have been talking a lot about it. Uh, I'll link to it in the, in the show notes. It had nothing to do with photography, uh, but it was talking about how a lot of times we get uh, locked into what they call the fixed mindset uh, versus a growth mindset. That when a prob when a problem arises or there's something new um, that you're that you uh, have to learn, uh, that a lot of people have uh, that fixed mindset of you know oh, I don't do exposure blending in my photography, uh, or you know uh, I don't really use Photoshop that much, or you know I don't use flash in my pictures, or I don't need that new piece of that new piece of gear because I I'm good with the stuff I have. I don't want to try some new. We, we kind of get that fixed mindset and every time a new thing is suggested that, that could help us uh, to learn something mm-hmm. new, we're kind of stuck with, with what we're currently doing. And I definitely get that way in, with post-processing uh, as a definite area where I have this problem, where I kind of get in a rut of, no, this is how I post-process a landscape and, and I lose out on new techniques. Um, whereas a growth mindset, every time you see um, something new, something that you could improve on, uh, something someone suggests something that you change in your pictures, uh, that you just have the mindset of you know being willing to grow and just always recognizing that there's something more you can try on. Uh, so, Elise, I guess maybe that's the first thing that I'd suggest is you know. Go look at improvephotography.com. Look at the articles that have been written for the last, you know, 20 or 30 days. Just look at the headlines. Just browse through mm-hmm. them and see which one of them you skipped because it hasn't been in your mindset. You know, maybe it was Flash and you're like, yeah, you know, I don't read the Flash articles and I haven't tried Flash because I've always said I'm a natural light photographer or, or, or whatever it is. Go Just go look at kind of what all the new things are in photography and see which one you've kind of discounted that maybe you should give a second look to. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's really a creative person's problem. Um, you know, like I, I always refer back to music, but anytime that you are looking at the same influences over and over and over, like you listen to your five bands or your two bands over and over and over, and then you go to try to write music, you know what it's going to sound like before you even play it. You're going to create the same things that you've been influenced by. The same thing is true with photography. If you are looking at the same photographs or the same photographers over and over and over, and then you go to try to create something new, 
most likely it's going to be so heavily influenced by those couple influences that you have that it's it's not going to feel very fresh and new. And so anytime that I'm doing photography, like the same type of photography for a long time, like if I am shooting nothing but weddings for a couple months in a row, I get burnout and I start feeling really uncreative and I just feel like I'm producing the same photos over and over and over. And it sucks the fun out of it. And part of why I like doing so many different types of photography so much is that it keeps me interested and inspired and motivated. So like when I'm doing lots of portrait photography, pretty soon I start looking at like my old photo trips and thinking, man, I want to go there again. That was awesome. And I can't wait to go on my next trip. So just kind of staying diverse with what it is that you're shooting and also stay diverse with what it is that you're both learning and looking at. If you're, you know, really needing some new inspiration, go look at some new photographers. Either go to 500px and start looking at those kinds of photos or just start perusing Instagram or just start researching new photo photographers that you haven't really checked out their work and try to find a new style that you wouldn't have looked at in the past. A lot of photographers that are on 500px, a lot of it looks the same. You know, there's there's kind of a 500px look. <laughs> it's a very technically technically correct look, uh, with a little bit of epic mixed in. Yeah, like um, right now the the look on 500px that's real popular is dark, like dramatically mm-hmm. underexposed landscape. Exactly. It just doesn't really appeal to me. I've got to be honest. I'm not loving the the dark trend, but a lot of people are. And mm-hmm. these those kind of trends will will happen with everybody that uh, will we'll go a, a year or so and we'll really like this HDR kind of pushing the edges. Yep. And then we'll really like this dark landscapes kind of look, underexposed kind of look. And then we switch on to something else. In the 90s, it was that soft focus portrait. <laughs> And now nobody wants to do that, right? So those trends are always coming and going. And I think there's a temptation to discount them because of that. You know, we say, ah, this is a fad. Uh, It's okay if it's a fad. It's all right to do something that's current. Do it, try it, you know, learn that new technique um, Mm -hmm. and then see if you want to keep it long term or if it's just something that you want to pull out of the bag of the tricks, you know, once or twice a year. Uh, but, But at least you have a new tool in your tool belt. And, you know, a lot of like trend setting photographers, the ones that everybody emulates, the ones that are like the first ones to do whatever it is that they do, uh, those people oftentimes draw influences from things outside of photography. They look at movies and they get inspired by that and they try to incorporate that or they look at paintings. And so drawing inspiration from outside photography can really um, spark creativity inside of you because suddenly... You don't have, whoops, you don't have that, that box that you've put yourself in of like, this is what I do and this is how I do it. Um, when you remove that box, everything is possible. Blow out some highlights in a landscape photo. You might like it or, you know, underexpose a portrait and you might like that. Try something new, try something different and try to get inspiration from areas outside of what you normally do. And that should help with um, your creativity. Yeah, another thing that has been really helpful for me uh, is to have a photography bucket list. Um, I I love bucket lists. I made a bucket list of fifty things to do in life when I was a teenager, uh, and I'm 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 over fifty percent now um, on my bucket list. But I also have a a photography bucket list um, of just just different places I want to photograph or, um, I, you know, want to go, um, you know, accomplish a thing, get a photo in a magazine or, or whatever it is. I just, every time I see a cool photo on Instagram or something, I'm making my list of man, you know, this is within, I, and I separated, I have locations that I want to visit within nine hours of Boise. That's like, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a long drive, but I could do this in a day. Uh, and I'll, and I'll, and I list all those and then locations just all around the world. That's like, man, someday I've got to go to Vietnam or wherever, you know? Uh, so having that list is great for a time like this. Uh, like Elise asked that she was, you know, just feeling uninspired and like she wasn't making, uh, progress. Cause I know anytime I'm, I'm just kind of dead with my progress in photography, I can open up that bucket list and say, all right, 
let's do it. I'm going to take a Saturday. I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to drive uh, to Rocky Mountain National Park or wherever right. else uh, and, and make some progress. Yeah. And if you're a portrait photographer, just come up with some kind of crazy idea or go buy some atmosphere aerosol. I actually picked up a 12 pack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so now I love I'm, that stuff. <laughs> and so I'm feeling really inspired right now. I just want smoke in every single photo. Um, so I'm going to be doing lots Nick, of you've inspired uh, <laughs> me too. every episode of the podcast needs more atmosphere aerosol. This stuff is yep. awesome. It is. It's it's so cool. I've been incorporating it at weddings, like during the first dance, just like have somebody walk back behind them and then backlight it. So cool. The stuff is useful for everything. <laughs> it is great. Just it's just something different. And you know, we all love to say that gear doesn't matter, and it's true. You know, it doesn't. You know, you could totally get mm-hmm. a basic DSLR and a kit lens, and and uh, and you could go make amazing photos. That's totally true. But sometimes that keeps us from trying new things and we use it as an excuse for that fixed mindset of saying, yeah. I don't need that piece of gear because I'm staying with what I know. And then you're just not going to progress. It's not all about gear, not at all, but uh, it, we can sometimes use that as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. We got lots to talk about on this episode of the podcast. Before we get too far, I want to take a second and thank a company that uh, has helped to make this episode of the podcast possible, and that is Blurb. Uh, Blurb is a cool company. I've been using uh, Blurb for quite a while. Um, the What Blurb does is that they um, create photo books, really beautiful um, photo books, and they're, they're, they actually like get colors right and stuff. Like This is something that if you're a serious photographer, you can use blurb um you know uh, there are uh, some services that you know make cool books but they but they you know don't have the quality that a photographer would be happy with uh so definitely check out blurb um if you're printing a photo book you know obviously this is a big winner for christmas time right like um you know, if you want to use this as a present, this would be a great present, um, you know, to give to a spouse or to mom and dad. Like my parents, I never know what to get my parents for Christmas, right? Um, and so, you know, something like this, like there are things that they would actually care about. You know, all the photos of, you know, me and my wife just having fun this uh, this year and I can give to, that to my wife as, as a present or to your kids, Uh you know, you know, take photos of just, you know, go look through your Lightroom library for the year and find all of the photos of you and your son or you and your daughter and give them that memory of just like, this is just you and me and how we've spent our time in 2016. Uh, Blurb is a, a great company for doing that. Um, and you can visit blurb.com slash improve and they gave us an offer code. It's uh, the offer code is improve and that'll give you 25% off your photo book. So that's blurb.com slash improve and then enter offer code improve and that'll give you 25% off your order at blurb. And we thank them for their support of the podcast. All right. Lots more to talk about. Nick, you went and did a destination wedding while you were in Hawaii. How did that go? Uh, it went really well. Um, there was lots of challenges. Um, when you're shooting a destination wedding, one of the biggest challenges is that you've never been there before, typically. And uh, so we were in Maui, kind of nice in October. It was beautiful there. And we were at this giant resort. Um, well, at least the couple was at the just this giant resort. It was a beach wedding, very small ceremony. And uh, the resort is actually called the Grand Waimea. Wailea, Wailea, something like that. (laughs) I can't pronounce anything um, east of or west of the Oregon coast. Everything is unpronounceable (laughs) over there. Uh, But anyways, uh, so it was a very small uh, ceremony, but it was such a beautiful location for photos. Now, a couple of the questions that I get over and over is like, first of all, how do you how do you book a um, a destination wedding? And, uh, so the, the way I booked this was basically I had examples of another Hawaiian wedding. I shot a a wedding in Kauai last year and those photos are the reason that the, this year's couple had hired me. They saw, Oh, he's really good at beach portraits that we want him. And so that was how I got the, the wedding. Uh, another question that I always get is how do you 
how do you quote for something like that? Because, you know, our first reaction when somebody is like, I want to get married in Hawaii. And I was like, your first reaction is always, I will shoot it for free. <laughs> and <laughs> and so last year, that's actually exactly what I did because I used it as kind of a portfolio building opportunity. This year, I was like, okay, I'm going to quote you guys half of what I normally charge. But you also have to pay for our flight and, well, my flight and lodging for one night. It's and like, that's, don't, that's don't expect the same price to come for your next wedding. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and because every wedding is different and every destination wedding has a cool factor. It's like, you know, the, the cooler a location is, the cheaper Nick gets. And so if something's in Alaska in the middle of the winter, full price. <laughs> if it's in uh, Maui in October, we're going half price because that's really cool. And I, and I knew that it was going to be kind of a portfolio building opportunity for me because any wedding in Maui is a portfolio building opportunity. So uh, another uh, challenge to a wedding like this is like figuring out how and where to shoot. So one of the most important things to me was to be able to scout the locations ahead of time. So that meant I had to show up a couple days early, you know, because uh, who wants to go shoot a wedding in, in Maui and then just come back the following day? I wanted to show up a couple days earlier. We kind of turned it into a vacation, which had to twist my arm to do that. But um, so I went and I scouted locations that we're going to shoot beforehand. That way I had an idea of where I wanted to take them. And uh, at this particular wedding, we did not have, the only places we had permission to photograph were inside their hotel rooms, in the halls, and then down on the beach. The entire um, area of the resort with all of the, you know, beautiful fountains and architectural features. We didn't really have permission for that because normally that's like an extra fee that our, my particular couple didn't pay. So we had to be sneaky with that. And so as we walked to the ceremony, we had to walk through those grounds. So I just kind of like pre-visualized some shots at, and told her like, okay, when you're walking down those stairs, kind of look off to the side and I will be up here and I'll snap a picture of it. And bam, snapped a picture of it. And we did the same thing coming in. I had Annalise hold a strategically placed flash and when they walked into a particular spot, snapped a photo and we were so stealthy about it that nobody said anything and we got away with it. Um, maybe not the most um, <laughs> a straight and narrow thing to do. Uh, you guys should probably pay those fees, but um, you can make it work as long as you're not making a scene of your photography. So it pays to be quick and, and stealthy and efficient. <laughs> and, so, and you're like, yeah. okay, Annalise, if anybody comes up, pretend you fainted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we we thought about actually setting up a, a diversion, like send somebody with my other camera body and have them like make a big scene over there. Take so off we your could shirt go and go over running here. and screaming <laughs> the other direction. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so gear that I took, um, I just took my uh, 70 to 200, 16 to 35, and my 50 millimeter uh, Sigma art lens. I took three speed lights. I, I took the batteries out of those. I put them into my checked luggage. And then I had a monopod with an umbrella. And that's that was all the gear I took. Um, uh, all of the lighting that I did was pretty much like held on a monopod. And it worked out really well. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, for <laughs> the last few years, uh, you and I, Nick, have been getting questions uh, at least on a weekly basis um, from listeners of the website, uh, who are listeners of the website, readers of the website, listeners of this podcast, uh, who are using this flash that we love and have used for many, many years. This is the Yongnuo uh, YN560, and the current version is 4. Um, this is an inexpensive flash, 65 bucks. You can buy this flash. Uh, if you're looking for the link, just go to improvephotography.com and click on recommended gear. So it's a very inexpensive flash. 
Um, and the reason that that uh, both of us love it uh, is because it's really easy to use. It does everything that you really need from a flash in a very inexpensive unit. They're very durable. Uh, I have dropped and kicked and put these in water uh, and have not had that many of them die on me over the last few years. I've probably owned 30 wine 560s because <laughs> i like to have you know six or seven of them for you know a complicated shoot where i have a lot of flash and then i went from version one version two version three um i, I really like these flashes however uh, they're starting to get more complicated and this new version four is definitely the most complicated one that they have made um and uh now that you, you know we're also adding these yn560 tx controllers and so mm-hmm. the things are getting a little bit harder uh, even with the YN560s, even though I would consider these flashes easier to use than the Canon and Nikon. And uh, somebody asked a question in the last episode of the podcast about, um, you know, they were having issues with the Fuji of getting it to work with the YN560TX controller. That's what sends the signal out from the camera uh, to fire the YN560. Um, and I, I I didn't give a satisfactory answer on there. And we got a couple comments um, on that on that episode of people giving suggestions to that reader. Um, and it reminded me of some of the things that, that I had kind of forgotten um, can, can trip you up as you're setting this up. So first, I want to point you to an article on improvephotography.com. It's just titled, My Young New Hawaiian 560 Flash Won't Fire. Help! <laughs> um, and that's how it feels when this won't work. Um, and I just kind of went step by step by step uh, through how to do this. So I, in in the new episode, as we're kind of changing how, how we're doing these shows, we want to share a new skill with you. Um, every time. So Nick, you've, you've done lots of workshops and stuff. If somebody's flash won't fire, like what are some of the first things that you're usually checking to see? What's well, wrong? well, the first thing is to make sure that you have it in the right mode. So all speed lights have multiple modes. Uh, the YN 560s, they have an extra mode because they can actually operate as a transceiver or a receiver or manual and then they also operate in slave mode. So you need to make sure that it's in the right mode. So if you're triggering it from, let's say, the the triggering TX controller, you need to make sure that you have it in receiving mode, which is RX. Which is totally if, tricky because I you're know. using the TX controller, and then on the flash, it'll, it'll show TX, and you'd think, oh, yeah, I want to use it uh, with a TX controller. Mm-hmm. So you pick TX, and it won't work. Uh, TX exactly. means you're turning the flash into the controller. So one flash goes on top of the camera, and this is also going to trigger another flash that's off camera. So you don't want exactly. TX mode. You want it on RX mode as received. Exactly. And now when you take that same flash and you put it on top of your camera, and then you like want to do some bounce flash, now you have to remember to take it out of RX and, and put it in manual. the manual mode. Yep. Otherwise, it's not going to fire. So, And then let's say that you're wanting to use it in slave mode. You need to make sure that it's set to S1 or S2 if yeah, you're so, using TTL. And for beginners, the, the slave mode, well, there are different types of what slave mode can be. Uh, but here we're talking about an optical slave. That means a flash yeah. just sits there. And it does nothing when you, you know, it will take no signal from the controller. Uh, what will make the flash fire is if it sees a sudden pop of light in the room. That's what makes it go off. Exactly. And so if you have another, you know, flashes of multiple brands, like right now you own the Canon brand flash. I'm sorry if that's true. That's sad um, that you paid so much for it. Um, but if you uh, right now own a Canon or Nikon and you want to switch uh, to a Yongnuo, then S1 mode is going to be great. Your slave because you can, um, you know, you can trigger uh, your Yongnuo flashes with this normal trigger, and then you can set your Canon mm-hmm. into optical flash. Then when all the others go off, poof, the other one will go as well. So that's a really handy mode. And uh, I really en- enjoy using that mode at weddings because when other people go to take photos with their flash, my flashes ruin their photos. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's true. And so it means I'm the only one that gets good photos. And they, I just love seeing the confusion when they look down. They're like, 
They're, it's all like snow white and they can't <laughs> figure out why. I love that. Um, but uh, the most common way that I'm using them is I always have my, my transceiver and then I have my flash in set to RX. That way I can uh, make sure that it's receiving. Now the next most important thing is to make sure that it's in the right group and that the channel is correct. So you can change the channels which are like one through what, 12, 16, whatever they are. And typically you're going to be in channel one and that doesn't change. But what does change is the group that you have it in. So you need to make sure that it's either in group A, group B, group C, uh, or group D, E, F, whatever. And you need to make sure that it's in the right group. Uh, because that's how you can control the power of different sets of flashes is by setting them to different groups. And then you can say, okay, group A that is over in this corner, I want to be at this power. And then group B that's over here in this corner, I want those to be at a, this different power. And you can control them all separately. So you need to make sure that you have the group uh, set correctly. And that's really easy to miss sometimes. Yeah, it is. And there and there are so many other things uh, that, that can go wrong when you're setting your flash. So this is a tricky one. Uh, each camera is going to do this a little bit differently. So I think one thing that helps is if you think about your flash as, um, as, a, as a macro. You know how a macro like in Excel on a computer, how, you're, how it's just remembering a series of steps um, and then it's doing them? Uh, that's how cameras work. Like uh, when when I press the shutter button, the the camera says, "Okay, first you got to focus. Once it finds focus, then you're going to move uh, the mirror out of the way. Once the mirror is fully out of the way, then you start moving the shutter. And part of that macro is going to be also send the electrical signal on the little contacts in your hot shoe and make the flash fire. Well, the problem is. As you, as you have different camera settings, some of the camera manufacturers haven't sent that signal to the hot shoe. So on a lot of different cameras, when you're in live view mode, you can't take a flash picture. Um, and so that's one thing to check. Uh, some, mm -hmm. some you can, but on a lot of cameras, it won't take a flash um, if you're in live view or if you're in AI servo mode or if you're in continuous focus uh, or if you're in, you know, uh, continuous drive mode, like, uh, you know, continuous high or continuous low. It's just different on different cameras. Usually Canon and Nikon are better at this than some of the third party camera manufacturers. But be sure to check through or quiet shutter. That's another one. When they added quiet shutter to the to the cameras, a lot of them would not fire the flash uh, because it, it just hadn't been built into that macro yet. And some cameras, you know, you aren't going to have to worry about these things for. But if you're mm -hmm. having trouble with your flash, those are definitely things to check because you may just have some strange setting going on in your camera that's preventing that signal uh, from getting to the flash. So go to this article for sure. Uh, my young new OYN 560 uh, won't fire. It's on the homepage of improvephotography.com right now. Um, and and if you're having trouble, uh, if you ever just kind of bookmark this one because it'll walk you through step by step by step. And I, I think I've gone through everything possible that could go wrong there. So at the end of the article, if you follow the steps, either your flash is going to fire or you're going to know your something's wrong with your flash and you need to return it. Uh, mm -hmm. But but. 99% of the time, there's nothing wrong with the flash. We just have some kind of setting wrong. So hopefully that'll, that'll help you get things going right. Well, in every episode of the Improved Photography Podcast, we like to leave you with a doodad of the week, some kind of product that we have found um, that is helpful in photography or something that we're interested in checking out. What do you have for us this week, Nick? So this week I have a macro lens. Yeah. So before this lens, this is the Tamron 90 millimeter macro. Good choice. Uh, and this is the SP. This is kind of like the newer, nice version. It's kind of like Sigma has art lenses and then Tamron has these, I guess they're SP. Is that what they're called? I don't know. <laughs> it's You're the nervous nice. now because of that last video we did. Yeah, I know. We got one I got spec raked wrong over and the coal. just destroyed us. <laughs> exactly. So... <laughs> I want to make sure that everything I say is absolutely correct. Don't so mess this up, Nick. Lens, Don't mess up. <laughs> I know. Anyways, um, before this, I had like the oldest macro lens that Canon has that is still like autofocus. It was really, really old. And uh, it was definitely time for an upgrade. 
really the only time I ever use this is at weddings for ring shots and the occasional macro shot. Uh, but what's really cool about this, this lens is that the image stabilization is excellent. Um, it's got image stabilization that is specialized for macro photography. So it's, it's, uh, it works really, really well. It's very sharp. It's actually a little bit sharper, I think, <laughs> than the Canon 100 millimeter L lens. Uh, image stabilization works just as well and it's cheaper. So this is a really excellent lens. I'm very, very happy with it. For portraits, it works well as well. Uh, autofocus works excellent. Uh, very happy with this lens. This is the Tamron 90mm macro, and it's the newest version. Very cool. Well, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of a different one. I haven't been buying a whole lot of photography gear lately, and so I'm going to give you one that's, that's not super related to photography, but just cool, and that is Amazon's Echo Dot. Um, I have mine coming in the mail tomorrow. It's a brand new product, uh, but it looks really cool. Um, this is, um, uh, it's basically, if you've heard of the Amazon Echo, it's basically a, a, a speaker uh, that has, um, it has seven different microphones in it. So you can, you know, be in your kitchen and you can say, turn on Pandora, or while you say, Echo, turn on Pandora. You know, it feels like you're on Star Trek or something. Um, but you, uh, but you know, you can turn on Pandora, check the weather, check, uh, you know, sports scores. You can add things to your calendar. You can buy things from Amazon just by saying it. Uh, it's really neat. But the Echo was expensive. It was th it was two hundred bucks uh, for the Echo, and I uh, never quite wanted to do it. Uh, but this is the Echo Dot. It only has a tiny little weak speaker in it. But it has all the same um, uh, technology and and uh, and voice recognition uh, software in it, and it's only fifty dollars, which I think is pretty pretty reasonable price for it. And you can plug it in, like if you have Sonos or different speakers, uh, you can plug it into a nice speaker so that it'll it'll sound good when it's talking and stuff. So I'm recommending the all new Echo Dot, second generation from Amazon. I'm gonna get mine in the mail tomorrow, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, so far, it's been good, getting good reviews. Hey, thanks everybody for joining us in this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. Uh, we really appreciate your support of everything that we're doing. If you're in Arizona, be sure to check out uh, the Improved Photography Retreat, our first workshop, uh, or our first workshop. We've done lots of workshops. Uh, we're our first conference for Improved Photography um, in Arizona in March 2017. There are only a few tickets left. Uh, I can't remember exactly how many it is, uh, but we are 139 days away. You can find all the information at improvephotographyretreat.com. Nick Page is going to be there, Connor Hibbs, Michael Binsky, Cecilian, Dale Rogers, Trevor Daly, uh, Erica and Jeff Harmon and, and Josh Corrigan. And uh, we, we got the whole crew coming out um, for, for that. So check it out at improvephotographyretreat.com. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you.